1 Kings 17, starting at verse 1, but going on a little. Now Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there should be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For when he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy of celebrating Jesus this morning, the wonder of his life, his death, his glorious resurrection. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you as the enthroned king here this morning, the one from whom all our life comes, the one who orders all things. We bless you, Lord Jesus, for your purpose to speak to us this morning. We express our confidence in you, our dependence upon you. Ask for the Holy Spirit to rest upon us now. Come, Holy Spirit. Lead us into truth. Be our teacher. Glorify Jesus, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been looking at this story, realizing that Elijah lived at a season similar to our own. He lived in what could be called a a post-Christian era. He belonged to a nation that was supposed to be uh, honoring God, a people that, whose identity was wrapped up with God, but who had turned their back on God. And now Elijah, almost exclusively a person out of step with his culture, living in touch with God. We've looked at that over a couple of weeks. I don't want to spend a lot of time uh, recapping that this morning. But to take things further and see that although he was uh, already a man out of step with his culture by his stance, and a man who was uh, unthrown inwardly by the confusion that was taking place in the nation, he had now to live out his life in the real situation that was there. It wasn't enough for him, as it was, simply to be a man of prayer, that we thank God that's what he was, and we looked at that last time, that he was a man who stood before God, a man in touch with God. He also had to live in the world and to have an obedience that was expressed in action. And so his walk with God wasn't simply a stance that he took, it wasn't a static thing, it wasn't just an attitude of mind, it was a life that was lived out before others and before God, which was in stark contrast to the generation in which he lived. He was a prophet, but as a prophet he wasn't just a voice. He wasn't just complaining. He wasn't just deploring the situation, complaining and criticizing against his contemporaries. He was called to live a different kind of lifestyle. Not merely uh, morally correct, but living now by faith in what God was calling him to do. He had to live out a life 
of obedience that God mapped out for him. He was no longer going to be hidden away. He was going to be living before people. He was going to be living in what God had called him to be and do. And in that sense, he was really like Abraham. Abraham, the beginning of all who believe. Not just a moral character. Not just a man who's saying, look, this is right and this is wrong. But the life he lived was a life of trusting God. A life that didn't know what the end was going to be. Didn't know where things would uh, turn out. It says about Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going to go. And the story now of Elijah has that characteristic about it. Elijah begins to obey God. He is told to go and face the king, but he doesn't have any clear guidance as to what is going to happen next. He doesn't know the full picture. He's not just avoiding Baal worship. He's not just avoiding the wickedness of the culture. He's living a life in response to a personal invitation from God to live by faith. He's going to encounter the king without knowing what the exit strategy will be after meeting with the king. He's going to confront the king and say, there'll be no rain until I speak about it. Until I say so, that's going to be the situation. But he doesn't know where things are going to go from there. He's going to live a life of faith trusting in God. And that's his stark contrast from his culture. More than, this is right, this is wrong, he's going to live a life that says, whatever God says, I will do it. Whatever God declares, that's going to be the pattern for me from now on. He's going to live a life of obedience and faith. And actually, that is the heart of what it is to be a Christian. It's not about relating to rules and regulations so much as a personal response to an invitation. So the Lord Jesus, when he began his ministry, began to call men to leave their nets and follow him. He didn't present to them necessarily just a moral code and say, that's wrong, this is right. He said, follow me. Come to me. And it says of them, they left their nets and followed him. They committed themselves to a radical concept of completely trusting him to look after them if they left and abandoned what seemed to make common sense, what seemed to be the safe path, and let Jesus now dictate what life's going to be, they said, okay, we'll do that. They left their nets and followed him. Following someone who said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He start, they started to live a life expressing confidence in what God says. And let that make the choices for them. And thus they began to lay the foundations of a totally new community on the planet who lived by the word of God, who lived by what God says, not simply by a moral code. We're told in Hebrews 11 that these heroes of faith who are set forward in the New Testament as kind of models of how you live the godly life We don't read about so much their morality as their confidence in God, expressed in action. They're putting God first. They're saying yes to the Lord in a personal way. And so that they were not so much taken up with speaking against the culture, demanding that's wrong, this is right, but saying yes to God, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to walk in step with you. And it says of them, of whom the world was not worthy. They were living out a different kind of a pattern 
on the life. There was a, there was a rich man who came to Jesus one day and they, he said to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, these are the commandments and spelt out some of the Ten Commandments. And the man said, well, I've done this all my life. I've always lived by these rules. And Jesus said, right, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. He invited him to a completely different approach. Just commit yourself utterly to me. And it says of the man, he was sorrowful and went away. Tragically, he wasn't sorrowful enough. He didn't think it through enough. He didn't make a good choice but he could say, yeah, I'm, I've always tried to be moral, but committing myself to you, what will happen to me? How will things work out? I've got my confidence elsewhere. I, I don't mind living by a few rules. I don't mind uh, trying not to steal, honour my parents, uh, not commit adultery. I, I'm happy to obey these objective rules, but to commit my life and to live everything just in your control, I don't want that. I, I, can't, I can't do that. I don't mind a moral code, but a life of commitment is not what I'm after. But actually, that's what the faith is all about. That's how Abraham, the father of all who believe, started. He left where he had been, where all his security was. He left all the things that made sense to him because God said to him, go, Abraham, to a place that I will show you. And Abraham went out not knowing where he would go. And Jesus said to guys, follow me. He didn't say, here's a code book. He said, commit yourself to me. And really, believers are such that fundamentally, that's the root of who we are. We're not just rule keepers. We're followers of an invitation that's personal to us. Follow me. We've started a journey. We've committed ourselves personally to a personal invitation. We've said, yes, Lord, I come and follow you. I come and relate to you. I come and listen for your voice. I come into all that you have for me. And so, first of all, it's a life of obedience in action. It's not enough for us, as it were, in our generation. As we see, we can compare our generation with Elijah's, a people that had turned their backs on God. It's not enough for us to deplore the code, to speak against the standards. It's for us to be like the model that Elijah set of a life of faith, a life of yes and responsiveness to God. The second thing I noticed is that it was an obedience that left the choices with God. It was an obedience that left him actually very vulnerable. He didn't get all his questions answered first. He didn't say to God, well, I'll trust you if you promise to do this. I'll, I'll go and confront Ahab if you tell me what the exit strategy will be. You tell me what comes next. You, you guarantee the way it will go. That wasn't the way it was at all. And you'll find that that's the way Jesus trained his disciples again and again. He led them into dangerous situations that had no obvious answer and they were going to be dependent on God's love and goodness to come through the whole experience. So they would often be in vulnerable circumstances. And so costly was it sometimes when they may be tempted to say, when Jesus said, follow me, they said, well, uh, first, let me go and bury my parents. Let me deal with these things. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You think, boy, that is a, that is a very harsh word. 
It's that kind of removing the veil and showing me that underneath this so-called kind and tender God, there is actually a ruthlessness, a priority, a crunching fist. No, 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 it's not what it's showing us. What it is showing us is this, that Jesus, out of his love, knows that there are times when wholehearted commitment to clear priorities is the only way you're going to live this life. Being ruthless with things, being settled in putting other ways of thinking behind you is the only way you're going to get your feet firmly on this new way of living. A revelation of a loving saviour who knows that some things only get solved when you deal with them ruthlessly and make good priority decisions. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. So here we find, after Ahab, what? After I've confronted the king, what's going to happen? Well, some ravens are going to feed you and there's going to be a brook with water. You think, well, that isn't what I had in mind. That's not what I was expecting. That's not what I was projecting. But that's what God had ready. Something that was totally unexpected. You know, it comes out of personal trust in God. I remember when Wendy and I were first uh, engaged, we were just finishing coming through Bible college, and wondering, what's the next step? And uh, without any employment, without any home, without any income, wondering, what, what are we going to do? And uh, we were praying together and saying, Lord, what's, what's next? We've finished college, uh, where do we go from here? And I was getting guidance that was very clear, but it was all negative. Um, you don't do this. Okay, it's clear. Don't go there. Uh, and my pastor was saying, I want you to be a Baptist pastor. And God was saying, no, that's not it. And then someone else invited me. Would you do this? No, it wasn't that. Would you be a youth for Christ? Well, no, it wouldn't be this. And we were getting quite perplexed as the end of our college life is coming. And hey, what do we do? And we were praying together. And actually, I wouldn't kind of encourage this. But for the first and probably only time it happened to us, I had a prophecy when there was just the two of us. And I wouldn't encourage that because I think normally prophetic words should come in the context of a wider circle that can weigh and judge and assess and all the safety factors that are in that. But it was a very simple word. We were longing to know the way. And the Lord Jesus just spoke to us and said, I am the way. Just keep very close to me and I'll lead you into what I have prepared for you. And although that's a simple word, it just took all the pressure immediately. It showed me the key. It showed me, showed us the way forward. The way forward wasn't knowing all the answers. It never has been. It's not the way he does it. He doesn't show you the complete program. He didn't show it to Abraham. He didn't show it to Simon Peter. He didn't show it to Elijah. He said to Elijah, go and confront Ahab. And, and, I'm not telling you and. Just go and confront Ahab. And when he did, he said, now, now, you go and do this. Now, keep close to me. I'm calling you to a life where I'll tell you the next step when you've done this one. I'll show you as you go. I'm calling to an adventure of relationship. I'm calling you to trust me. Because this was the problem with Israel. They weren't trusting God anymore. They'd lost their confidence. They were saying, well, let's trust Baal. Let's trust these other gods. Let's trust other ways of thinking. 
And that led him to evil, certainly. It led him to a lifestyle of corruption and wickedness and gross evil. But the root of the problem was, well, they weren't trusting anymore. They weren't saying, yes, Lord, whatever you say. They weren't like David and Joshua and other typically outstanding Israelites who were saying, whatever you say, God, I'll wait for the moving of the, uh, in the wind of the trees, then I'll go. Or I'll step into the river. You say, I'll step into it, I'll step into it. But it's closed. You said step. Right, I'll step. Open it goes. They were supposed to be a people who walked with God. And walking with God often means, hey, I don't know what comes next. I don't know what's going to happen. You haven't told me enough. You haven't given me the complete picture. But it's a faith that leaves the choices with God and shows us that he will bring us into ever-increasing relationship. See, we love the church. We love one another But at root, for every one of us, walking with God is a matter of personal commitment when he speaks. When God speaks to you. So I remember speaking to Tom and Julie, who many of you would know, though some of you don't. Young couple who used to lead our student work. And they went to Africa. And they came back. And I thought, I wonder what God might have said to them. And Tom said, can I see you? I said, sure. He said, God's spoken to us. I said, what's he said? He said, we're going to Japan. I said, you to Japan? God spoke. God said, Japan's the next step. And we weighed it and considered it. And as elders and all the safety factors of being a church together were in place. And yeah, off he went. They went to Japan. And we've just heard this last week of the first Japanese convert and a little church beginning to form. We praise God for that. But ultimately... The church is made up of scores and thousands and millions of people who are saying, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? And yet in the safety of church life. So we find Gail, who was Gail Diani, saying, I'm off to the street kids of Mexico. Well, what, what, what rules is that? What's going to happen? I don't know. God's told me to go. There's that personal response to God that says, yes, Lord, whatever you say, I walk with you. It's a relational thing at heart. It's not rooted simply in a value system, but it is rooted in a relationship of trust and confidence. It doesn't always appeal to our logical expectations. It's not the way we would have planned it. It's just the way God leads us step by step as we put him first and follow So Elijah really was involved in what we might call reckless obedience and God wants us to be the same. Jesus said this in Luke 6 and 48, He who hears these sayings of mine and does them is like a man who dug deep and laid a foundation and built his house upon a good foundation. Who hears these sayings of mine and does them. It's like a man who dug deep. It's very easy to think that to be religious is just to take on the expected level of morality, the expected level of how you tend to live as Christians, just to go with the crowd. Beloved, that's not digging deep. That's not digging down to a foundation. That's not finding a real root that says, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he requires of you, that's the way you live this life. 
That makes us all living by another value system altogether. Not simply an objective code. It means that we are listening for his voice. And it means that one day when Jesus says at the end, as he said, some will say in that day, Lord, Lord. And I'll say, depart from me. You never even knew me. You learned the language, but you didn't know me. You hadn't dug down deep enough. You hadn't come to that place where it was you and me. You're walking in trust with me, obedience with me, hearing from me what to do next, sensing from me what's required of you. We need to take care then that we're hearing and doing the Word of God, not just hearing it. I remember once when I spoke at uh, C.J. Mahaney's church in Washington, D.C., and we had a really good time, and the people seemed ever so responsive, and uh, there was applause and all this kind of stuff at the end. It was all, and C.J. stood up and said, uh, how many of you here have been blessed this morning? It was great applause. He said, he said, no, he said, you're in danger of great deception. I thought, what on earth is he going to say? What, what did I say that was deceptive? He said, no, 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 Jesus said this, if you hear these words of mine and do them, you will be blessed. And just to hear the words, but not to do them, is not to receive the blessing. It's not to dig deep enough. It's not to build your house on a proper foundation. It's the digging down and saying, yes, Lord. It's saying to God, what, whatever you're saying to me. And that's the way it was with Elijah. That's the model life that he lived in stark contrast to the people who turn their back on God. What's needed in our generation and what was needed in that generation was not just a word deploring the sad state of the nation, but was a people who lived by another value system related into what God was saying at any given time. Listening to his voice, obeying him, responding to him, when it even looked foolish. And we'll see the next thing is that it was an obedience that was based on humility. You've spoken to the king, now go and hide yourself by the brook where the ravens will feed you. You know, you can only give that instruction to a humble guy, really. It's not what we would have expected. It's not what you would expect when you've just addressed the king. You know, I've spoken to the king. I have said to him, it won't rain until I say so. I mean, what's going to happen next? I guess it will be a national tour. I'll be preaching from Dan to Beersheba. You know, book in. I will be here. But get your seats early. I may make it rain. It could be this week. Turn up. I'll be there. You know, the whole, all center of the attractions to him. He's holding history in his hand. I have shut the heavens. I've just spoken to the king. I guess everyone will want to listen to me now. It's my moment. And instead of it being his moment... He gets the word that says, now go and hide yourself. Hide myself. That's not what I had in mind. I thought, big platforms now. Now hide yourself. It's not an easy word to hear. Hide yourselves. Hidden times can be very difficult times. You know, faith that leads to courageous breakthrough. Obedience that makes you march down against Goliath and take him out. Or obedience that makes you say, let the fire come now. I mean, it's pretty exciting obedience when the heavens open and down comes the fire. But obedience that says, now go and hide yourself. It's not exactly what we're always looking for. It's not very appealing. Go and hide yourself. But God, I've got such a moment. Surely I should press home the point. Surely I should go to every city. 
and tell them. Let them know. This is why there's famine. I'm in touch with God. I'm his spokesman. No, hide yourself. Just go and be hidden away. It requires real humility. It's hard for us, especially in a generation where we think, well, surely the whole thing is knowing your rights, knowing who you should be, being an authority. Often, even Christian teaching can get on the back of that kind of mindset that's so often in the world today. Knowing your rights, be the head, not the tail, be forceful. Well, no, first of all, hide yourself. First of all, be hidden away. You any good at hiding away? How is it for you when you, uh, your voice is not heard? How do you feel when no one seeks your opinion? How do you feel when you don't even know what's happening? No one told you. How can they do that? No one told me. No one asked me. And it's happening. When you feel kind of out of the picture, not in the loop, he's going to be right out of the situation. No one's going to ask him what his assessment is. No one's going to ask him what his opinion is. He's not going to influence the situation at all. He's going to be hidden away. The ravens may bring him food, but they won't bring him much information. He won't say, oh, are people talking about me? You know, you just get, wah, wah. You know, here's your meat, here's your bread. What's the score out there? Not a word, you know. Am I being blogged? You know, what are people saying about me? Nothing at all, not a word. You know, the ravens are silent, just the food. And you think, God, this is like dying. Yes, that's right. That's exactly what it's like. Losing your influence. Being hidden, it can come in seasons in our lives. It's quite hard. Maybe you've uh, been the golden boy in the church you used to be in. And then you move uh, into maybe a bigger church you're not known. You think, well, don't, people don't know who I am. They don't understand how gifted I am. It can be quite hard. Maybe you went to university, got a double first. You also fell in love, got married, had a baby. And you thought, well, I'm so qualified. And now this baby just takes up all my time. You know, I'd love to come. Will you come? No, I'd love to, but we can't, can't get a babysitter, can't get out. And, and somehow you go through a time where you're not making the choices. You're not able to shine. You're kind of hidden away. It can come in all sorts of ways. It can come, it can be quite costly when it happens because somehow we feel... We value ourselves by what we're doing and accomplishing and the place that we're given. Sometimes it's hard even in the domestic scene. Maybe your son or daughter who used to look to you all the time for your input. You had the wisdom for her. You had the guidance for her. She always looked to you and now, now she's married. She looks to him. But I always used to tell her what to do. Some of us, we have a need to be needed. It's hard, not, you're not needed. Your counsel's not sought anymore. Your gift isn't being used. Your wisdom's not being drawn on. It's quite hard to go through that. It doesn't need to be a guy who's got the platform of a nation. It can be just in our domestic world where no one seems to ask you anymore. Maybe there's been a change at work where you used to have a, a role and significance and there's been some adjustments and you feel what? I don't seem to have that place anymore. It can be hard. You can feel, I'm not needed anymore. And that's very hard to experience. Hide myself? 
Do I have to hide myself? Yeah, that's the word. This is what happened to Jesus. But I've just, been, I've just met Ahab, or you could say Jesus. John the Baptist just said, he's the guy. This is the one I spoke of. Here he comes, here he comes. And not just John the Baptist, a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Wow, here I go. Yeah, to the wilderness. To the wilderness? Yeah, go and hide yourself. Go to the wilderness. Go and be on your own for a while. So even Jesus went that way. A place where, hey, I'm, I'm just lost, I'm just hidden away here. What about all these years of preparation? What about this mighty anointing of the Spirit that came upon me? Now I'm just hidden away. Being hidden away is quite tough. It says in the Bible, we're like arrows in his quiver. And sometimes an arrow, you know, it goes through all sorts of preparation. All the leaves cut away, the sharp point put on, the feathers in place. And then what happens? We get stuck in this tube. What does a quiver look like when you're an arrow? It just looks like a black hole. Is that light I see at the top? Is there light at the end? And sometimes that's how it is. You feel, surely God wants more for me than being hidden away. But there are seasons when we have to be hidden away. And sometimes it can be that, uh, you think, well, I've heard people say, well, God, if he gave me this gift, he must have had some reason for giving me this gift. I ought to, this ought to happen, you know. And sometimes you can be in a church life, your gift is not being seen. You say, well, God gave me this gift, I'll go to another church where my gift is honoured. Instead of saying, oh Lord, Lord, if it's time for me to be hidden, it's personal with you and me. It's a relationship we walk together. If that's what you want from me now, I'll take it from you. I'll receive it from you. I'll allow for it to happen. It's not easy to cultivate humility alone. That's why we need one another. We need people who will sometimes correct us, criticize, assess, speak to us. We need relationships where people can do that. Have you got those kind of relationships? Or is it hard to bring something to you? If someone brings a correction to you, do you say, oh, praise God, opportunity for me to learn? Or do you say, no, if she wasn't so pushy, it wouldn't have happened. She started it. See, when we say that sort of thing, we're saying, look, I don't need to change. I, I, I don't need to change. I've arrived, really. I'm spiritually amazing. <laughs> so that when correction is brought, you know, you don't want to get to a place where someone's got to get their foot on your neck before you'll receive it. <laughs> it's very important that we say, okay, okay, found me out. I want to change. You're good at taking correction? You're good at receiving criticism? How is it ha When you get criticized, do we defend? Do we throw up our hands and say, no, no, I'm perfect. No, this man had a humility about him that took, go and hide yourself as acceptable counsel. Go and take a lower place. Go and be hidden away. You're not needed at the moment. You've been dropped. You've been left out. How do you handle that? Sometimes there needs to be moments where you say, look, okay, I just take that on the chin. I'm not fighting for my life. I want to learn what Jesus said, that if I lose my life, I'll find it. If I love my life in this world and fight for it, then often that's when I will 
loser. We need to see how Elijah walked. And then last of all, an obedience we've seen that was in action, an obedience that left the choices with God, an obedience based on humility, and then lastly, an obedience that gets you there, right? There. God said to Elijah, go to Cherith, the ravens will feed you there. There's a place you need to get to. I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. See, some of us fail to experience the supernatural because we don't get there. We don't say, okay, Lord, that's enough, I'll do it. Because simply you said it. Sometimes we are unwilling to break out of rationalization and logic. What will happen to me if I go? What do you mean, ravens? Maybe fear, maybe pride, maybe straight disobedience means we never get to see the miracle. We never get to experience the supernatural. We don't get to experience God coming to us in phenomenal ways that are uniquely yours, that give you your story to tell. But God did this for me. God did that for me. I, I just went. I just went to Brighton Station. I just went to. I just, I just did it. I just did what God told me to do. And some of us, because we apply all kinds of logic, we never get there. We never get to the place which this story calls there. I've, for I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Some of us don't get there. We make our choices. We say, thus far, no further to God. We don't get that close to hear him. God could say this, the ravens will turn up, will you? I've commanded them to feed you there. The Christian life can be a life of wonderful adventure, extraordinary excitement. It's not just keeping your nose clean and keeping out of trouble. It's listening to God who speaks, doing it, and finding, wow, look what happened. It's not only where the ravens turn up, it's where the next step of revelation comes. It's that when you get there, you're going to find you're going to need more information, more steps, more guidance, more wisdom. But it comes there. That's where it comes. The revelation, the supply comes there. But if you make choices, I'm not going there. You never meet God's supernatural word, provision, the revelation of his heart for you, his ability to meet you, the uniqueness of a relationship with God. It's that hiding place where sometimes we don't want to go. Obedience brings revelation of God's faithfulness. Sometimes people say, God never speaks to me. I never hear God's voice, I never get guidance. But the reality is this, what about general guidance? Do you take the book seriously? You say, well, I'm waiting for a special word. Well, it says in the word, to this one I will look. To the one who's meek and lowly and who trembles at my word. God loves speaking to people who take him seriously. God loves giving more revelation to those who say yes to basic revelation. I can sometimes pray for people at the end of meetings and someone will come up sometimes and say, would you pray for me? I've got some blockage. 
And I always hate that question. I think, where, where does that come? Is that Galatians 3, 7? Was it a blockage? What, kind of, what do you mean a blockage? I think it's not Bible language. No one in the Bible talks like that. Pray for me that I will get this blockage. Blockage? How about just simply reading your Bible, doing what it says, getting used to doing what God says, and you'll find you start hearing him more intimately as well. Because you've laid a foundation. That when God spoke, you dug a hole and you got down onto a foundation. You got used to listening to God on his basic revelation. So that on the back of that, he can start speaking to you specifically. God loves to speak to those who take him seriously. Obedience begins to make things work for you in terms of relating to God. I'm of a certain generation that finds the whole computer world a bit strange. And, uh, you know, you can try this and, well, it's not working, it's not working. Have you plugged it in? Oh, you plug it in? (laughs) Have you tried the password? What's a password? You know, and sometimes, I don't hear God. Have you plugged in yet? Are you used to listening to him? Do you take him seriously? Do you feed on what he's said? Do you say, I need to know what has God said in his word? So you're getting used to being responsive to things that he said. Instead of saying, yeah, it doesn't work. There's a plugging in. Faith grows in the context of obedience. And in that context, your faith begins to put on muscle. I was in my early 20s. I felt God told me to give up my job and go from door to door as an evangelist at the back of Brighton, Colleen Estate, as it happens. And I did. I gave up my job. I worked up there. I moved up there. I didn't have any organization that was uh, supplying finance. And sometimes people would say to me, you must have great faith. And I thought, no, I don't think so. I'm just doing what I'm told. I, I honestly was not conscious of having great faith. That didn't register at all. No, I was looking to God for everything. But actually, it was a matter of doing what he told me to do. He said, do it. And so I did it, and the ravens turned up there. Now God's saying to us, as a church, go for brewers. Go for a big, big thing. And some people will say, boy, that church has got a lot of faith. And if we know what we're talking about, we'll be saying, as far as we know, we're just doing what we were told. When you're doing what you're told, it's up to God. When you are there, he will feed you. As we keep obeying, doing what he says, following his leading, you say, well, that's a huge challenge. Well, I'm not even thinking about a huge challenge. I mean, how can you believe for ravens? Have you studied ravens? Do you know about ravens? Do you know their habits? They're unclean birds, you know. Have you worked on that? What do you know about ravens? Nil. What I know is this. God said, go, I will meet you there. I have commanded the ravens. God is saying to us, go for brewers. God is saying to us, Believe for me to supply. When you get there, if you say, I'm not going there, you won't meet God. I'm not going to get vulnerable. We're not going to go there. It's too vulnerable. No, we go there, and you get there. Hey, God commanded. It's as you obey, you get the revelation of his miracle faithfulness. God providing. God going before. And then in the story, we find too also, We'll come to this a bit more in the next time, but the brook 
actually dries up. And there's that challenge. That's where faith is really tested. True faith looks and doesn't think, what's the alternative plan? True faith says, how did I get here? I got here by following God. God, you've got to see me through. The reality is this, it says, the day that the brook dried up, God said, now go to Zarephath. Don't you suppose that perhaps the day before the brook dried up, it looked pretty dodgy? Don't you think you thought, oh, what's, what's plan two? What's, what's plan B? What am I going to do? I better get my, I need to, I need to take control back. I need to get hold of this. I need to be in control. Enough of this just doing what God says. I need to be in control. I'm going to take the controls back. No, he doesn't. It says the day it dried up, God spoke to him. Wow. That's walking in faith. That's refusing to be independent. It's refusing to say, no, I must take action. I must sort this. I must change the situation. You'll find that later on it says, after many days, God said to Elijah, go and show yourself to Ahab. After many days. See, God had an ultimate plan, was show yourself. He had an intermediate plan, Go and hide yourself. It was like that for David in Adullam's cave. He'd slain Goliath. What comes next? Cave. Joseph saw a great vision, had a great dream. What comes next? Prison. Go and hide yourself. A season of low profile, a season of being apparently irrelevant, not counting, not in the plot, not a shaker or mover, not affecting anything, just hidden away here. But actually proving your total obedience to God. You see, faith grows in a context of obedience. Later, he will call down fire from heaven. His faith will be such that he'll say, pour water on it. Go and soak it in water. How do you get faith like that? How do you get faith like? Pour water on it. Now, Lord, please send fire. He got faith like because he got used to doing what God said. And knowing I'm only standing here now because God told me to. I'm only in this situation because God drew me here. I'm only, I've only applied for this job because God led. I, I, I went this way. I, I let God make the choices for me. I didn't get into that relationship with her, with him, because, well, I felt God wasn't giving me permission. But surely I could have, maybe later she would have come, or he would have... No, no, God was not giving me permission. I refused to get into plan B. I'm going to stay in plan A. If I'm in plan A, and if God has led me this far, God will provide, God will guide. It's up to God to show me what the next step is. See, that is the Christian walk, dear friends. It's not just about some rules and regulations... The Pharisees could do that. The Pharisees could say, oh, we do this and this and this and this. Paul said before Christ, in the law, blameless. Didn't know God at all. Very religious. Didn't know God at all. No relationship, no excitement, no adventure, no proving him there. Not a raven in sight. No supernatural, no encounter, no awareness. God is here now. But if we as a people also, beloved... 
We press on. I'm putting God first. I'm putting God first. We come through our various gift days. We come through our activity. We make our adjustments. We press on. We say, Lord, whatever you say. Not just an individual faith, but a kind of corporate Elijah people. In stark contrast to our generation, not because we complain about their standards, not because we say, oh, you shouldn't do that, that's bad, this is good. No, no, because we are walking with God. In a generation, they don't believe there is a God. They don't believe there's any God there, there's no one listening. And we are saying, he's listening all the time. We're proving him supernaturally. You cannot explain us away, apart from a supernatural God who's providing, meeting our needs, intervening, answering our prayers, demonstrating his faithfulness. That's how we do it. That's how Elijah had to do it. And there came such an authority from his obedience. As for us individually and corporately, God wants you and me to trust and obey. Well, some here might remember that classic old hymn we used to sing, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. I looked up that hymn this morning in the hymn book, and here's one of the verses, the last verse, it kind of builds to this. You never will prove the delights of his love until all on the altar you lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. One of the other verses says, what he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Do you know it was songs sung by that generation, probably in an earlier century, that went on the back of a great missionary thrust. People who went to the ends of the earth. Just on that, he said, he said, he told me to go. And sometimes parents say, you're doing what? But what about your degree? What about? No, no, he's spoken. It's enough, he's spoken. That's how we build radical church. When in our ranks, whether it's in the domestic world, a family, or whether it's, hey, big decisions of destiny. We're saying, whatever you say to me, I will do. Or would you say, no, I want to control this. It was all right for a while, it's getting a bit out of hand. I must, I must control this. I must get it back into my control. Will you today refuse to make the choices and say, Lord, I trust you? Say, no, I'm grabbing back the control. No, no. Will you today trust him? Sometimes it seems that other people do it to you. They, they shut you down. And, and Joseph said this, hey, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. I receive it from God's hand. I really will trust him. If it's a season to be hidden, say, Lord, let it come. Hide yourself. Let me make the choices in your life. Let's pray.